Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC-FM and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning and we are pleased to be joined by Dr. Manisha Jutani. She is an associate professor of medicine and epidemiology at the Yale School of Medicine. Good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks, Aaron, for having me. Well, we are talking about the coronavirus pandemic this morning. First of all, doctor, what is your take on where we are in the pandemic? We're almost a year into it. Are we approaching the the light at the end of the tunnel? I'd like people to remain hopeful that the light is there and that the sun is slowly rising on this pandemic, but we do have a little ways to go. So in terms of the hopeful things to focus on, of course, we do know that vaccines are rolling out, that test positivity rate in Connecticut does seem to have gone down some, and those are promising signs. I think we've made it through the holidays. Uh, January and part of February tend to be lower time periods in terms of when people routinely gather in larger groups. And so I'm hoping that that will give us a breather. The things that give me some pause are that our hospitalizations still remain quite high. So back in the spring, we saw a swift rise up and then back down. And then we were flat and really low in the summertime. What we've seen through this fall and going through this winter is that we had a rise, not quite to the level that we were at, probably about half of where we were back in the spring, but we have stayed there. And after the new year, it looks like things were coming down, but then they went back up and just kind of stayed flat. And I have to think that that is the post-holiday bump that we were anticipating. So with test positivity going down, I'm hopeful that our hospitalizations will start to trend down, but that's why I'm cautiously optimistic for a brighter future, but it is still a significant strain on our healthcare system. People are clamoring for the vaccine, but certainly the demand is outpacing the supply at this point. What steps can people take to protect themselves as they wait to get vaccinated? Unfortunately, I don't have a lot of new things to share other than what people already know, which is masking, distancing, hand washing. I would encourage people to also try to maintain healthy lifestyles, get out for walks, get fresh light and and, uh, fresh air and sunlight and, you know, exercise. These are all things to keep you healthy overall while doing the preventative measures 
that we know are helpful in terms of preventing acquisition of COVID-19. Um, and when you get your chance to sign up for a vaccine, I strongly urge you to sign up as soon as possible. Explain to us why it's important to continue those measures for people who have been vaccinated. A lot is still unknown in terms of these vaccines in some ways. And I know that some people feel that we don't know enough and don't even want to get vaccinated because of that. I will tell you, I just completed my two series of vaccines this past uh, Sunday. And I will say the first time was not that bad for me. The second time was a little bit harder. I did have a fever, significant fatigue uh, for a couple of days, but I feel great today. Um, and I feel happy that I've had the opportunity to get vaccinated and care for patients knowing that I'm vaccinated now. Uh, but the things that we don't know are that, you know, are you going to be able to potentially get COVID, which we know that about 5% chance of getting COVID, even if you've been vaccinated, but then could you transmit it to somebody else? Or is it going to be a mild infection where it just kind of is able to maybe take a little bit of a hold in you, but be mild and go away? Or are you able to transmit it to somebody else? So while we're in the midst of a raging pandemic and a lot of cases continuing, the reason that we need to maintain all these preventative measures is because if even vaccinated people remain a conduit to continuing this pandemic, we can't take our chances with that right now. We need test rates to go way down. We need case numbers to go way down, just like they were back in the summertime here in Connecticut. And once that happens and we have more information on how people who are vaccinated react, how are they able to either, either fight off infection or are they able to transmit infection to others, that, that data will be coming in the months to come. And as we get more of that information and more and more people are vaccinated, I think a lot of these preventative measures will be able to be slowly loosened over time, which is why I say that the sun will slowly rise um, and eventually we will be in a place which will look better, but it's going to take time. I've heard differing numbers. What is the latest guidance now on the percentage of the population that must get vaccinated to, to really get this thing under control and achieve herd immunity? Like you said, there is a range that is postulated out there. So, you know, is it 60 to 80 percent? We don't really know, but I believe that that is sort of a range that we can target for. We also know that there's a certain part of the population that was infected, but how much immunity that population actually has that is sustainable over time, as we know that some of this immunity wanes over time. People who are naturally infected do not seem to have as robust of an immune response as those who are vaccinated. So people who are vaccinated have stronger immune responses that I suspect and we suspect are going to be longer lasting than those people who were naturally infected. So I think at this point, what we're still looking at is somewhere in that range of, you know, at least 60% of the population vaccinated. And the combination of that with these other measures should hopefully get us to a point where in the summertime we can enjoy some of those low rates again. And it might be that we see an uptick in the fall again. I do anticipate that we will have surges over time, but with a largely vaccinated population, it shouldn't have the same impact on our lives and on 
society overall and even on the healthcare system as it has for the past year. How concerned should we be about variants of the virus we're hearing about from UK and South Africa and other locations? Variants are bound to happen. Viruses mutate. That's what they do. Mutations are basically errors in the genetic code. As the virus is replicating, it's putting in different base pairs into its sequence. And if it makes a mistake and one that actually helps it thrive faster, then that's a mutation that actually can take hold and be replicated over and over again. And viruses are going to try to survive. And if there are versions that make them more infectious and potentially more deadly to humanity, those are the ones that we worry about. So when we hear about these variants, there's you know some data to suggest that this UK variant not only may be more infectious, but now we're getting some information to say that it may potentially be more deadly as well. And there is reporting on the South African variant as well. Now we know that this UK variant is here in Connecticut. I would suspect that we've got many more cases of it than we actually know of so far. So that does raise some concern that this is probably circulating in our communities. Having said that, our test positivity rate is going down. And so I'm hopeful that it will continue to go down with the public health measures that we know we need. But we do need to be worried about these variants because if we don't do those things, if you are more infectious, any one person is more infectious Every chance encounter that you have in the grocery store, for example, could lead to more people potentially being infected. And I really hope we don't see an uptick again, which could be because of these variants. So I think that story is still untold. And the next several months will reveal more to us, specifically in terms of what's happening here in Connecticut. We heard this past week that Moderna was already developing a booster shot to deal with with one of the variants. What's the best information we have so far on how effective the vaccines are against these different strains? The UK variant, the data that we've received from the vaccine manufacturers and from some other groups that have been looking at that, seem to suggest that the UK variant uh, is protected by this vaccine. So if you are vaccinated, you should be protected from the UK variant. The reason that Moderna mentioned about the South African variant is it seems that there is a partial response to that. And so in order to adjust for that, they are getting to work on this booster, which they think can sort of complete the platform of the vaccine. I think what we need to remember, as everybody knows with the flu, is that viruses mutate every year. There's a different flu shot every year. In many ways, we can anticipate that the same thing is going to happen with COVID. COVID COVID-19 was first identified in 2019. Is there going to be a variant in 2021 or 2022 that is gonna require even more of a frame shift in terms of what the vaccine looks like? That is certainly possible. The idea of a booster to the South African variant is great news. I think what that tells us is that the pharmaceutical companies are able to make adjustments in real time very quickly to be able to help all people vaccinated 
receive the protection they need from any new variants that might be coming out as well. So I see this as good news. I see this as them trying to stay ahead of the game. And if the CDC uh, recommends this, if the FDA approves that booster, I would definitely take it. How do you feel Connecticut is handling the pandemic and and now the, the vaccination process compared to other jurisdictions? I think we've been doing a great job in Connecticut overall. I feel that in the first wave, we were caught off guard like the rest of the country in many ways, and we did the best we could with the circumstances that we were faced with at the time. One thing I would say in retrospect was that masking maybe a little earlier might have brought that peak down a little quicker. I think in general in Connecticut, people are really trying to do the right things. Uh, What concerns me is that, especially for the last couple of months, there are many people who are really trying to do the right things that have gotten infected and they just tell me they just don't know from where. And that does make me concerned about, do we have more of the UK variant that is out and about? Uh, You know, why is it that there are cases where sort of transient interactions maybe potentially are resulting in infections versus, you know, the clear being in a household with somebody else infected or sitting across from somebody at a dining table in your home or at a restaurant that was infected. Not all the people who are getting it now have stories like that. So that's a little bit concerning to me. Having said that, I think that the people of Connecticut are really trying to abide by the rules that have put in pla- been put in place by the governor that we have in our local municipalities. People are clamoring to get vaccinated. That is a great thing as well. I hope that we are able to get that message out to all communities so that our communities of color also are vaccinated at the same rates that other communities are. So overall, I think that there have been very few vaccines that have been sitting on the sidelines. Most that have been delivered have been distributed to patients. Large health systems are rolling out mass vaccination campaigns. Many physicians like myself and others and other healthcare professionals are volunteering to vaccinate people so that we don't have a backlog of vaccines sitting around. So I'm not sure what else we can do, honestly, which is where I think some of the exhaustion that we all have comes into place because at the end of the day, people do need to go to work. People do need to get groceries. Many times some people are ordering online and the like, but we do need to do a little bit of our activities of daily living. And even if you're trying to stay at home as much as possible, maybe even have the opportunity to work from home a lot, there is still transmission happening. And so we just have to try to hold on a little bit longer. We're, we're in Connecticut really doing the best we can. And I'm hopeful that as the weather starts to turn, I'm hoping the groundhog on Groundhog's Day coming up next week tells us that we're having an early spring. And maybe with that, that we will see you know, warming weathers and and with that potentially a little bit less virus transmission with more humidity in the air, that would only be welcome news to be able to help give us a little bit more light at the end of this tunnel.
You are listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Dr. Manisha Jutani. She is an associate professor of medicine and epidemiology at the Yale School of Medicine. You, you talked about mask wearing. Recently, it seems more and more people have been wearing two masks at the same time. Is that helpful? Does that make a difference in, in helping to avoid COVID? The first and most important thing I want to communicate is that, number one, wearing a mask is what's most important. Number two, wearing a well-fitting mask is the second most important thing. And what I mean by that is you want to have good coverage of the area above your nose with not a lot of room for air to escape under your chin, on the sides, near your cheeks. These are the areas when if you're wearing a mask and you sort of blow out air, how much air do you feel coming out from those places? And the least amount of air means the better fitting the mask is. Now, having said that, as you mentioned, there are people who are wearing two masks, and there's certainly nothing wrong with this. If you are more comfortable doing this, I see no problem with it at all. Is it more protective? Probably yes, in the sense that if you have one mask that is giving you better protection around the nose, and you have a second mask that maybe is giving you extra layers of protection, these are all good things that can help prevent transmission of the virus. Having said that, the only thing I would say is that you do want to be comfortable in the sense that you want to be able to breathe. Uh, some people also have easy access to these KN95 masks. Those fits are sometimes better than the traditional medical, surgical, or cloth masks that you can purchase. So all of these are options. The thing I would reinforce more than anything is mask wearing. If you are comfortable wearing two masks, it certainly is a strategy. Just intuitively, it makes sense that more layers could be more helpful than fewer layers. However, the fit of the mask, I think, is what is really most important. I know early on in the pandemic, there was a lot of concern about contracting COVID from surfaces and a lot of wiping down and cleaning. What's the latest guidance on that? As most people have stopped being obsessive in their cleaning and concern about surfaces, I think that's a reasonable way to think about this. What we know is that largely this virus is in droplets. When it is wintertime, there is less humidity. And so droplets may be smaller in size. They may hang out and hang in the air a little bit longer. When you have humid air, droplets tend to fall faster. So droplets, if they end up on an object and you touch an object that somebody else coughed on and before washing your hands, rubbed your eyes or rubbed your nose, you could get infected. But you see that there are several steps that have to occur. Somebody else needs to breathe or cough or shed some sort of droplet onto an object, which you then touch, which you then use your hand to rub your eyes or rub your nose or lick your fingers or something of the like where you could potentially get infected. So there's several steps in between that need to occur to get this virus from objects. But I think that the risk of transmission from objects is much, much less. 
So I don't wipe down my groceries. That's not something I do. I know there are some people who still more still feel more comfortable doing that. I think the risk of contracting COVID from objects is relatively low. I would just say that something like a doorknob or a grocery cart handle that multiple people might be touching. I am of the philosophy that if I go into a grocery store and they almost all have always had wipes near the door, even before COVID-19, I would take a wipe and I would clean down the handle of the grocery cart before I started going grocery shopping. That has been my practice even before COVID-19. I still recommend that because these are areas of high touch surfaces. So cleaning down high touch surfaces on a regular basis, I think is a reasonable thing to do. But I think for regular objects, I don't think it's necessary. The issue of indoor dining at restaurants in Connecticut, there's been a lot of back and forth about it. The restaurant industry is calling for a loosening of restrictions. And then there are other folks, and I believe you're in this camp, who say, you know, the risks are pretty high of eating inside. Uh, Tell us uh, your concerns about that. At the end of the day, when two people from different households are sitting across from each other, and you don't know if the other person is infected, that is certainly the highest risk of transmission. That could be in your house, that could be at a restaurant. So that is true no matter where you eat, because that's a time when your mask comes off. Now, one thing I've seen in a few restaurants is a sign at the door that says, you must be masked unless you are actually eating. I really like that as an intervention at restaurants because what that's saying is that if you're just talking or socializing, waiting to order, you're not actually eating, that those are times when you can imagine droplets being aerosolized with quite high frequency. So masking at all times other than when you're eating, I think is a very nice intervention that some restaurants have taken to try to minimize the risk to patrons and to their staff. So for wait staff, for owners, this is a potential risk. Now, we also know from data that has come out from other countries that it is possible, based on air circulation in a given eating establishment, for there to be a higher distance between people and still infection to be transmitted. So there was a case in South Korea that was reported on in the lay press as well that showed that there was a 20-foot distance between one person who had COVID and the other person who contracted it. So I think at the end of the day, people understand now the basic principles of COVID-19. Unmasked areas in unvaccinated people particularly, but we don't even know for vaccinated people at this time, are still high-risk opportunities for transmission. So for me, I would still like to see rates of COVID-19 go down further, have more of the population immunized before wide-scale indoor dining is, is happening in our communities. And I totally understand the challenges that the restaurant industry is facing. I know that they've done everything that they can in their power to make their establishments as safe as possible. As an infectious disease expert, what is the most common question you get about the virus? Probably the most common question I get is, when is this going to be over? (laughs) 
And <laughs> unfortunately, I think my guess is as good as anybody's in some way. And what I would say for people overall is that I think COVID is here to stay. And that does not mean that we won't be able to get back to a semblance of life as it was before COVID, but it's gonna happen gradually and in stages. And I think as a society, we will continue to get better at treating patients with COVID. We will continue to get better at identifying patients with COVID and our kids will be able to go more back to school than what they are doing now. People will be able to return to in-place work, not just working from home. And it will happen. But I think that COVID is, we're going to always know people who get COVID, I think. She is Dr. Manisha Jutani, Associate Professor of Medicine and Epidemiology at the Yale School of Medicine. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.